you seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Right now on Fast, the Chinese balloon that the U.S. shot down over the weekend was much bigger than we first thought and had a payload about the size of a regional jetliner. Will this shootdown ratchet up tensions with Beijing and what impact will it have on the red-hot EM trade this year? Plus, the AI boom. Today, Alphabet announcing they are launching a rival to chat GPT called BARD. VCs and public companies are hunting for the next big thing in artificial intelligence. We'll break down how you can invest in the street's newest obsession. And later, Pinterest reporting weaker than expected results after the bell. The stock now down over 10%. Our own Julia Borston set to join us with CEO Bill Reddy right after the conference call is over. I'm Melissa Lee. This is Fast Money. We're live at the Nasdaq Markets. I had a full house here on the desk tonight. Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, Dan Nathan, and the chart master Carter Braxtonworth along with this keyboard. And we start off with the latest developments on the Chinese spy balloon shot down over the weekend. Officials in Beijing calling the move by the U.S. quote, uh, unacceptable and irresponsible. The ramifications fell deeply in the markets. The China large cap ETF, the FXI, the Chinese Internet Fund, the K-Web dropping for a sixth day in seven sessions, both at their lowest level since January 3rd. Meantime, defense stocks catching a bid as investors bet heightened tensions could boost spending in the space. NBC News' Dan DeLuce with the latest on what we know about the balloon. The Biden administration today defended its decision not to shoot down that Chinese balloon over the Atlantic Ocean earlier, saying they had to protect civilian lives and they were trying to glean intelligence. The head of Northern Command told reporters today that the airship was 200 feet tall and the payload was the equivalent of a regional airliner weighing 2,000 pounds. He said that helped shape the final decision to hold off shooting it down until it was over water. The White House is also pushing back against Republican criticism that they should have shot it down immediately when the balloon appeared on U.S. airspace. He said the military advised the White House that there would be a much better chance of retrieving the spy equipment on the balloon intact if they shot it down over water. And he said as the balloon was traversing U.S. territory, the U.S. was able to monitor it and gather some interesting information about how that air balloon works. Melissa? All right, thank you, NBC's Dan DeLuce. Um, now, this balloon was able to traverse wide swaths of the United States before it was, in fact, shot down. We'll recover this balloon, pieces of it. We'll see what kind of technology was inside it, whether the technology was made in part by U.S. companies, ally companies. Um, Tim, what do you make, though, in terms of uh, what this does to U.S.-China relations? Well, the, the response just now from China is also um, one that's escalating, as opposed mm -hmm. to trying to say, hey, this was a mistake. It actually <laughs> kind of slipped into your airspace. I'm so sorry. And that one in Latin America, by the way, which we're calling yep. an unmanned warship, uh, excuse me, airship, not warship. Warship would be a bigger problem. But, I mean, the point is that I, I think there, there has been uh, an, an escalation of both sides. Clearly, there was a planned meeting between the two countries where you were going to have top level uh, a meeting discussing at a time when tensions have been very, very chilly. And, and I think this is important. Um, we're going to talk about the market impact, but I think in terms of, you know, the bilateral uh, you know, 
negotiations of what's going on here. Latin American countries aren't saying anything because a lot of these countries are getting China, Chinese money. They're getting money for infrastructure. They're, they're actually, there's a direct line in terms of build out on resources. So uh, I think that's really what it comes down to. Yeah, just say that it's kind of a dumb story. Um, we spent a lot of time thinking about this thing over the last, you know, like week or so. And, and, and you know, like we know how extensive the spy satellite network is, and I'm sure it has better uh, technology than this balloon. Um, so at the end of the day, I, I suspect that we'll be looking back, and this was kind of like, remember Balloon Boy? Remember about 15 years ago? Remember that kid who was supposedly flying? Oh. In the, yeah, you remember that? He was fake. I think this will be a non-story. <laughs> the one thing I'd be focused on is the fact oh. that crude oil is about to make a new 52-week low. You see coppers come off. A lot of those trades that are associated with the China reflation trade have kind of lost some steam here a little bit, you know? And so to me, I think there was a lot of excitement in the markets last month, global markets, about what the, the pivot from zero COVID meant. And I think they're kind of coming undone a little bit right now. I hope it's a nothing story. Yeah. But right well, now, I feel like that there are a lot of question marks, especially yeah. if Blinken can't The craziest his, thing is visit. the China response. I mean, th- listen, if you have a limb leaning over your neighbor's fence line, mm-hmm. they're allowed to cut the limb off. It's our airspace. And you just asked them, if our balloon had gone above China, what do you think they would have done? Waved at it? No, they would have shot it down too, period. All right? Uh, silly response from China. But the point that you're making is this was the biggest ricochet of all things. Hang Seng, Hang Seng Tech, mm-hmm. off the October low. And so it's, is it a function of the balloon or is it the fact that this was the most overbought area of the market. I, I don't think they're related at all. Sorry, can't get in there because I, 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 I've got a Tim few Tim doesn't more. think they're related at all. They're not <laughs> related at all. No, I, I, I think it's sort of, I think this will sort of blow over, no pun intended. Who knows how many balloons they've already, they've had, nor, you know, or that we have. But I think that it's interesting and, in, you know, the Biden administration has a little bit of a chance for some bipartisan I don't know, rhetoric, kind right. of. Like everybody um, can gang up on China. Everybody can gang basically. up on China, although they'll say he should have shut it down sooner or whatever. But it's a little bit of chance for that. I think clearly it heightens tensions. I keep coming back to the idea of TikTok mm-hmm. and, you know, whether in part of that bipartisan, you know, China rhetoric, TikTok gets caught up in it, which obviously would be good for Meta. That's not a world politics issue, but... I do own Meta. Well, sort of stirs up this notion that China is spying on us in many ways. And TikTok is one of those ways. And so, therefore, shouldn't we go and ban TikTok? And so the rallying cry gets a lot easier after the spy balloon. Well, this is the conversation we have on the show. No one cares about our politics. No one turns into into fast money to to, to learn about global uh, espionage. And so my point would be... uh, Look, the dollar's rallied three and a half percent in the, in the last week and a half. Week and, and EM's down six percent. This has nothing to do with China. EM is is correlated very highly to the dollar. Look at the move higher in global interest rates. The ten year went from three thirty three to six three sixty three, um, and also EM had significantly outperformed. I, I, I ultimately think this is a chance to reload. But the politics that are worth trading around this also include, you know, the reason Alibaba had had such a great run was because I think they re- removed a lot of the political pressure on the company. Uh, Ant Financial was able to raise capital. Jack Ma has been seen again. These are the reasons why, as an investor, you boil this down into uh, a matrix for investing. And in EM, China's 45% of the index. So um, I do think you have to have your China right to get EM right. But I think a lot of this is dollar. I think it's a big move. And I think the politics are partly around the edges, which would make investors say, I don't need to own EM right here. Right. Um, let's bring in Longview Global Senior Policy Analyst, DeWardrick McNeil. He is a CNBC contributor. DeWardrick, great to have you with us. What's your take on on what the ramifications are of this incident? Well, I've heard some of what the traders have been saying and and agree. Uh, This has implications for not just politics, but let me just start with the TikTok piece for a minute, because 
TikTok has been on death watch here in Washington for, for, for quite some time. And I do believe that an incident like this will only add fuel to the fire, that some action must be taken at the federal level against TikTok. And I will also say that when you think about things like outbound investment screening, which is also a discussion that's happening right now in Washington, I think the real question will be, will we want to see U.S. capital going to Beijing to continue to develop its tech sector, dual-use technology to be deployed in the way that it's been deployed? So the balloon matters for all of these reasons. Broadly speaking, the bilateral relationship, which was already on life support, I fear now that we're stuck in this state because I don't see how either side, the domestic politics, will allow for a diplomatic thaw to happen, which was what the Blinken trip was all about. And so I'm just concerned that now we're stuck for quite a long time in this this sort of uh, toxic, aggravated state because of, of this balloon uh, mission. What would retaliation or what could retaliation look like if it were done in a quote-unquote commensurate way? That's a very good question, Melissa, and it concerns me. If you uh, remember the Ministry of Foreign Affairs statement, I think Tim raised this, the rhetoric has shifted from apologetic to very bellicose. And they said in the Ministry of Foreign Affairs statement, we reserve the right to take retaliatory action, retaliatory action uh, in the same manner that the U.S. took. What worries me about that is aggressive intercepts on the South China Sea side outside of, of China's 12 nautical mile uh, radius off of their coast. And they do these aggressive intercepts all the time. We're likely to see more of that. And that is very concerning because it's escalatory, not de-escalatory in nature. Eduardo, it's Tim. So uh, on that note, when when militaries are talking or when there's a diplomatic relationship, even the worst of enemies um, have an understanding of where the other the other side stands. And, and to me, it almost feels like the worst thing is going on. Nobody's talking. We've seen this in our relationship with Russia. We've seen this in other key kind of call them acrimonious parts around the world. Talk about that and, and, and how um, how fragmented and, and you know, really how obstructed are those conversations at this point? Yeah, very good point, Tim. Look, at the height of the Cold War, there was a mechanism in place where there were rules of the road and, and ways in which we uh, will engage. That doesn't exist. That mechanism for the new era of competition in U.S.-China relation doesn't exist. And what makes this balloon mission so disappointing is that the Blinken trip was the beginning of a discussion to try and have this conversation about guardrails and what a relationship should look like in this era of competition. So I'm concerned, Tim, that the calendar is also not our friend because the next opportunity for a leader-to-leader meeting by and, and uh, Biden and Xi uh, may not happen until November uh, in San Francisco at the APEC leaders meeting. So that's a long time without a real mechanism to manage a crisis or deal with conflict uh, like we're seeing with this surveillance uh, balloon. So I, I am a little worried here that if we don't get some of those guardrails in place, this will continue to escalate and could get out of hand. Duardrick, it's Karen. Thanks for being on. Let me ask you, what do you think China was thinking, particularly with the timing of having this balloon over our, our land and, air, and uh, our space? Does this happen all the time and we just never make a big deal of it? Or how did they miscalculate, especially with the timing of the Blinken trip? It's that is one of the questions, Karen, I've been trying to wrap my head around since Wednesday, because none of it really from a timing perspective 
uh, makes sense to me, given all that was at stake. We've talked about the Blinken trip, but here domestically, you know that the House Republicans are standing up this select committee on competition with the Chinese Communist Party. The TikTok uh, debate is going on. China itself is trying to put on a diplomatic charm offensive. So this mission, all of those things were, quite frankly, uh, sapped as a result of this mission. So I can't really wrap my head around what they were thinking, what they were hoping to do, and why they chose this time, unless it was somewhere in the Chinese uh, party state apparatus, they were trying to spoil this mission. But I I'm still trying to figure that one out, Karen. Well, China apparently uh, did replace its uh, chief national weather person um, in, the, in, in the aftermath of this. So I don't know if that's a cover up or maybe this was a climate research balloon. Uh, DeWardrick, great to have you with us. Thank you. Thank you, Melissa. DeWardrick McNeil, Longview Global. Um, the impact of TikTok is really interesting. Totally. We've been talking about it. He yep. said that's been, you know, on the listen, going back to the Trump administration. Here's another thing going back to the Trump administration. Remember those the tariffs? They're still on. Remember all the, like we've been escalating this. I mean, the Biden administration has taken another step. Right. So the not having advanced chips being sold out there. I mean, this is going to continue to get ratcheted up. So this economic Cold War might get a little hot. I think situations like this seem to be a little bit of a smokescreen. Like me, like I just can't really like wrap my political science mind around this or foreign policy mind and say that this was like a well thought out sort of plan. You know what I mean? Especially in front of the Blinken thing. So I think it's probably best to dismiss it. The stuff that we look, you know, through the lens of the markets and everything is all the other stuff. It's all the economic stuff that is bubbling up. It's going to continue to go that way. And I think the TikTok one is probably low hanging fruit. I just think, you know, McCarthy is supposed to be going to Taiwan in April. I, I yeah. think this sets yeah. them up to do some sort of retaliatory something. And that's the commensurate there the you know response right this was total posturing going into this the summit i mean there's no question about that you know what the balloon then means and the reactions and all that but going into an important summit to to have to even deal with this issue someone was sending a message a message of force uh, earnings alert here on Pinterest. Shares dropping after reporting a miss on the top line, seeing just 1% growth in average revenue per user and 4% growth in monthly active users. The stock uh, sent lower by outlook for the current quarter. The company now expecting Q1 revenue growth in the low single-digit range versus previous estimates of 7%. That conference call is underway right now. We'll have more on these results with Pinterest CEO Bill Reddy in a first on CNBC interview later this hour. That's coming up 5.45 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, meantime, let's, let's trade it. Carter, what does this chart look like to you? Well, uh, there's two types of weakness. Weakness to take advantage of and weakness to stay away from. If you see in the aftermarket, we hit a low of 2350. That's where the 150 moving average is. It has bounced nicely. I think you take advantage of the weakness and add to longs. Yeah. Yeah, I think that makes sense, too. And when you think about this, we, we spent a lot of time talking about companies that are losing money. This is not mm -hmm. one of them. Now, granted, they're not making a whole heck of a lot of money. When you look at their revenue growth or expected, even with that guy down, you're probably looking at mid-teens percentage over the next couple of years. And again, if you think that they're leveraging things like AI, some of the stuff that we're going to talk about a little later to better serve their clients, um, you know, to me and advertisers, obviously, like this is probably a, a good level to Carter's point at that 200 day down about 10 percent. If you look at the stock, it's already recovered half of what it you know, lost. So Carter's pointing out, you know, which are the ones that maybe you're sneaking back into. Dan's pointing out the valuation. You know, you're talking about four, four and a half times revs. You're talking about 18, 19 times EBITDA. This isn't an Internet company that doesn't make money. Question is, is it going to get a lot better for them in terms of market share? Some of that there's worried about slippage and, and ultimately, you know, a weak ad spend. 
All right. Um, again, the CEO pins will join us uh, coming up. Meantime, we've got more names on the move in the after hours. Take two, Activision, Chegg, Simon Property, all reporting results. The details from those quarters next. Plus, Snap Decision, shares of the social stock jumping higher in today's session. And the move has options traders filtering in how they are playing the name when Fast Money returns. Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, wealth strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert for you in two video game stocks, one beating and the other missing on revenues. Let's get to Steve Kovac for the details. Steve. Yeah, Mel, let's start with Take-Two Interactive. It just reported their quarterly earnings for December. And look, it's not immune to the weakness we've seen in gaming. And the company is cutting costs like so many other tech companies. CEO Strauss Zelnick blaming a variety of factors for the company missing its own reduced guidance that they gave last quarter, saying customers spent more on established blockbuster titles due to macroeconomic conditions. And now they're cutting costs. They even use the word efficiency, but that buzzword we heard from Meta last week during its earnings. They're looking for $50 million in cost cuts. That includes potential layoffs and hiring freezes, plus cost cuts to infrastructure. Now over to Activision. Shares trading on the likelihood of Microsoft's acquisition going through. But the company did beat sales expectations, $3.5 billion. And that's thanks to the launch of that latest Call of Duty game. By the way, the New York Times reporting this weekend, Microsoft's legal team doesn't think the United Kingdom regulators are going to approve the deal. No comment from Microsoft on that, but look where shares are, way below 95 a share. Microsoft wants to buy it for Mel. All right, Steve, thanks. Steve Kovac, um, let's go to... Timmy, you were once our chief video game. I was. It was an exciting place to be, like going to League of Legends and, and yeah, you know, major events at sold out Madison Square Garden and um, feeling like totally like an old man. But, but um, now what? And maybe I am. <laughs> but um, if, if you think about Activision, right, the Microsoft deal, I, you know, the question is, you know, how much is it in play? I, I actually think it is going to go through. And I think if you look at these numbers, therefore, you're looking at Call of Duty and you're looking at some of the releases and, and where they are. The, the valuations 
in this space are, are absolutely acceptable. The problem is that they're still trading north of a market multiple at a time when they've had maybe their greatest period uh, during COVID. So uh, for people that don't want to do anything here, I don't think you have to do anything. I don't think there's anything to get away from. And there's a time we thought they were targets for media companies that there should be a takeover bid. I don't think the media companies have that kind of balance sheet right now. Yeah, yeah. I was just going to make that point. They don't have that kind of balance sheet and or, or the currency in their stock if they want to do a stock for stock deal. So I think that's somewhat off the table. It's not a crazy multiple, but I agree with Tim. Yeah, I mean, Take-Two is down 40% over the past 12 months. I mean, again, there's, a, there's weakness. It's an opportunity or it's a sign that something's really wrong and you stay away. I think both of these are the latter. It's a weakness to stay away from. You remember last week when we were looking at EA and you said, in a week or so, we're probably going to have an opportunity to buy it, right? This might be it. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, saying, when you think of the relative he, strength, I'm just saying towards, so yeah. he just mentioned with Take-Two, $30 billion market cap, expected mid-single earnings and sales growth for the next couple of years, trading at 17 times, which is a market multiple. I mean, it seems pretty reasonable. And I got to think, if there are media companies who want these assets at some point, we know that their sports franchises and stuff are kind of attractive. I know we've been saying that for a long time, but I mean, this stock looks reasonable here at these levels. All right. You got another earnings alert here, this time on Chegg. Shares plummeting more than 20% despite a beat on the top and the bottom line. The company issuing some weak guidance and citing reduced enrollments and uncertain economic conditions. Um, this is one that you uh, track, Dan. Yeah, I mean, listen, you know, there was chat GPT a couple weeks ago that was like kind of weighing on the sentiment here. And now it's a series of guide downs. I mean, Carter and I were just talking about this one. I mean, this was showing really good relative strength after it just absolutely got destroyed in 2021 into last year. It made a bottom at some point. And I, I think this is a good lesson, though, for some of these names that where you think that maybe they put in a little bit of a bottom. But that deceleration, if it just becomes the solid state that's going forward in a just low growth environment with second. Um, headwinds, you know what I mean? There's not a valuation that makes much sense. And this is what I remember going back 20 years after the dot-com implosion. There was a lot of stories that people were still very emotionally attached to because they were basically demonstrated some use. And then at some point, the technology gets away from them, the valuations don't make any sense, and there's no growth anymore. And I think, unfortunately, Chegg is probably in that category. And then some. I mean, oh, yeah. <laughs> it's just a mess. I mean, something that peaked almost a year before the market peaked has been going down ever since. It's the definition of not participating, not attracting capital. Why be the person to say today's the day it's cheap? It's not cheap. And I, I don't love it. I just, you know, Jeffries has a report. I'm reading, I'm reading a headline. This is Jeffries, not me. Um, one of the most insulated subsectors in Internet and software, because there is at some point there is an end user base that's alive and well and isn't going anywhere. But I wouldn't be chasing it either. All right. There's a lot more Fast Money to come. Here's what's coming up next. Oh, snap. Shares of the social stock looking picture perfect today as investors filter in. And the move has options traders snapping right into it. The details ahead. Plus, from chat GPT to the bard, artificial intelligence is the future. So how do you get in on the action? The buy on AI next. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, 
today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. Snapshare surging again today. The social media stock is now up more than 20% from last Wednesday's post earnings low. Some big money in the options market is betting the social butterfly could keep rallying. Mike's got the action. Mike? Yeah, so Snap traded more than two times its average daily options volume, and it trades a good bit on any normal day. The most active options were all expiring at the end of this week, the three most active calls. And the most active of those was the 12-strike calls. We saw over 37,000 of those trading for $0.38 a contract, a little over 3% of the current stock price. Buyers of those calls are obviously betting that the rally that we saw could continue through the end of the week. Dan, you've been a big proponent of SNAP. It's actually in your acronym. Yeah, I got a little cute. um, You know, into that print the other day, it it had run up, and then it came down after the guidance. And here's the thing. Here's a situation where Wall Street hates this thing. I think there's, like, literally 10% of the analysts who cover it have a buy on it. And that doesn't mean anything other than the sentiment is really poor. They guide down, and the stock gaps down and then fills in that gap. And now it's trading like this. It's getting to a technical level that maybe Carter can speak to a little bit. And, again, you know, like, at some point, the estimates can only go down so far before they're going to start beating them. And I think that's probably what's going on. Um, To me, I just also think that, again, going back, to the TikTok thing, and I think that was part of the sentiment today, is that if it were to get banned, I think these guys would be a beneficiary. Carter, what do you say about this chart? If I owned it, I'd double it. Really? Yep. You double I mean, you're talking about a stock that got down to its COVID low, bounced aggressively, and has all the elements of a classic bearish to bullish reversal. You rarely hear that yeah, from the chart, Matthew. Oh, that was, that was quietly emphatic. Yes, I know, I mean, exactly. In his which makes it even right, more right. emphatic, wow. by the way. Right. So what do you think, Karen? You're going to take a look at this? Well, I sort of made my bet in, you know, in Didn't alphabet, so oh, yeah. I, I like that better. But I, I love when Carter just goes nuts like that and just, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's, that's impressive. I have, a, I have a small yeah. position in Snap and mm-hmm. been in the trade for probably two months. And, and I, you know, one of the questions was, it's not even Facebook in, versus Snap. It's really a question of iOS Snap and what this means in terms of their, really their core business model, which requires consumption and enge- engagement. And, and look, it, the, the numbers were so blown out that it left a lot of room for, I, I think, a company to prove that it is growing, if, albeit slower. All right. Thanks, Mike, for that. For more options action, be sure to tune to the full show. That is Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Coming up, talk about smart money. Investing in artificial intelligence could be a head scratcher. So we'll lay out how to put your money to work in the AI space. Plus, shares of Simon Property on the move after reporting results. We'll dig into the numbers when Fast Money returns. Get your trades to go with the Fast Money podcast. Catch us anytime, anywhere. Follow today on your favorite podcasting app. We're back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Stocks kicking off the week in the red. The Dow dropping 36 points. The S&P falling about a half a percent. And the Nasdaq leading the losses down 1%. And check out shares of Bed Bath & Beyond soaring more than 90% today. Shares are up more than 130% at one point. Trading paused a few times during the session for volatility, and the name saw upwards of 240 million shares traded, compared to an average of about 66 million. The stock dropping, though, after hours on news, the company is aiming to raise cash in a secondary offering. Hmm. Karen, what do you make of this? You actually yeah. told them that this is what they should do. Well, they all should do it. That, that's not a genius idea, actually. They all should do it. I just wonder, can they actually get any kind of offering through the SEC 
given that this company will likely be in bankruptcy, they've already defaulted on their debt, they're just not technically bankruptcy yet, Hertz had tried to do it when they were in bankruptcy because the stock was going nuts and the court denied them. So I think uh, good for you, Bed Bath, if you can do it. I'm just a little skeptical it gets done. But let's be clear, the debt is trading like oh, the stock. Oh, the debt is, is trading like, like the stock will never have any value no matter what. So I don't know who would buy this, someone who really believed they're going to sell to someone else for more later. Can you actually chart? I mean, can you look at the chart for this? <laughs> sure, one it's and... not. That's all it is. In fact, right uh, to your okay. point, that's all it is. Is a chart, and you're talking about a company whose volume today, the entire float, turned over twice. So that's not anything other than a gambling chip, and just as quickly as it can go up, it can go down. It will go out of business. The shares will be delisted. It's just a question of when. Well, meantime, the AI race is heating up. Microsoft announcing a surprise event for tomorrow where the company is expected to reveal a highly anticipated chat GPT-related service. The news coming just minutes after Alphabet's Google unveiled its own competitor in the space, Bard AI. CEO Sundar Pichai telling employees it will be all hands on deck to test the service. Other names in the space on a tear of late. C3 AI, AI up 6% today is now up uh, 165% above its 52-week low from late no, de- late December, excuse me. Investors getting excited by the company's generative chat technology. Kingsley Crane is following the AI craze for Catacord Genuity. Kingsley, great to have you with us. Um, There aren't too many pure plays out there. Are any of the pure plays worth playing? Right. So for C3, I think it makes sense that the recent excitement around AI in the marketplace would lead to interest in C3. Uh, And their announcement of a generative AI suite is furthering this enthusiasm. Uh, They have something called a model-driven architecture. So as soon as new technologies and algorithms are improved or released, they can build those directly into their approach. So uh, we like the announcement. I think we're a bit cautious on the potential for that to drive near-term growth. In terms of of the notion of AI in companies like Microsoft or an Alphabet investing in AI, how, and I know you don't analyze those stocks, but from your point of view, is this still nascent in terms of how much it could contribute to a big company like that? This is the buzzword. This is, you know, on the conference calls, this is what investors want to hear. And there's a certain, you know, amount of money that's being thrown at these stocks by investors thinking that AI is the next big thing. Are we too far off from that point, though? I think it's exciting because we are really early. Uh, If you're a customer facing, you're scrambling to form a strategy that leverages generative AI to scale how you interact with customers. If you're a tool use in a data science process or an infrastructure provider, you're really well positioned. The market's coming toward you. But I think that could be over the course of multiple years. Kingsley, it's Tim. Thanks for joining us. Does Google's announcement today, Google, who we know has been spending aggressively in this space for a long time, does this, does this unlock value at Google? I mean, do you, do you see that this is something that actually crystallizes where I, I could make an argument that Google has uh, significant infrastructure here to deploy? Right. I do think this will unlock value for them when ChatGPT was, um, you know, recently made this partnership with Microsoft. Um, we did not take the stance that it would create uh, a significant moat versus another company like Google. Uh, and we still have indication that they've developed a moat from ChatGPT. And I certainly wouldn't bet against Google to compete with Microsoft in AI. Do you think, um, Kingsley, looking out, you know, since it is so nascent five years from now, um, will these companies that you cover uh, that are pure plays, will they exist independently or do you think they will be bought by other companies? And do you think that maybe the fiercest competitor has yet to even be formed? 
Right. I think that there's still room for plenty of companies to operate individually and contribute to this ecosystem. Um, you know, in some cases, we could see some transformational M&A. I think some of the cloud providers have been more cautious about acquiring a large company like a Mongo or a Datadog because of um, because of a lack of scale or lack of uh, ability to integrate that asset. And so with the advent of AI, that that could change. Uh, and yeah, it's totally feasible that that a company um, could um, could come out of the woodwork that we have not seen yet in terms of um, dominating the AI space. And I'm just curious, are there companies out there who are touting AI? I mean, I'm sure you track all this, even if you don't cover the companies per se, where AI is very loosely used and it's just used to get investors' attention. I feel like we're in this space now where it's a buzzword. And so if you can say AI in some way, shape or form, then you're going to say AI, even though it may not be AI as strictly defined in terms of the kind of companies that you cover. Right. I think it's really easy to describe uh, a company as an AI company today. And, you know, investors need to be careful uh, the approach that's being taken by, you know, the company that they're investing in. And if AI is a differentiator for that company uh, or if it's not, you know, a lot of times if the company is saying that it has superior AI, it, it you know, it could be a warning sign. And, you know, you need to look if they have a better data set, because oftentimes uh, the size and the, the quality of the data set is one of the best predictors of the success of AI. Yep. Kingsley, great to have you with us. Thank you. Thanks again. Kingsley Crane. I mean, can I make one point? Can I just make one point? We just spent a lot of time talking about two situations that seem just so stupid to me and kind of encapsulate what's going on in the market right now. The Bed Bath & Beyond and then (laughs) the C3 AI literally gaining 200% in a month, mm-hmm. okay? This is a company that went public in late 2021. It was at down 95% from its highs, okay? This was just a month and a half ago. And now we're talking about it with a $3 billion uh, market cap here. This company loses a lot of money. I, listen, Tom Siebel, I'm sure he's a great operator and, and CEO and, and so whatever. I'm just saying this is more about what investors are doing. It's not like, like your point is a great one. Okay, this company is called C3.ai, right. okay? Right. They have that idea AI. two years ago. Yeah. 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 That's gotta great. be worth it. Okay, yeah. like it's fantastic. <laughs> If we start seeing companies put .ai at the right. end of the company, we've been through that. We know what happens here. So I'm just saying that we're kind of in sillyville here a little bit. And the one last point I'll just say, if we see all these bigger companies, these publicly traded companies, kind of spraying some money around, 250 in this company, 250 in that, mm-hmm. that's probably a better way to do this. To your point is that, you know, invest in these companies. Don't buy them right now. The regulatory environment probably doesn't um, kind of lend itself to that. And that's what Microsoft did with OpenAI. They made a billion-dollar investment, and now they're doing this, and now they're integrating uh, same thing. Well, I mean, it's not Bed Bath & Beyond, but here's the thing. 103 million shares outstanding, 103 million shares traded today. It's just wow. being whipped around and it can go higher. Sure. He makes a point he wouldn't short it. I wouldn't either. That's a little dangerous. Yeah. Um, the more you know, when you hear superior AI, it probably isn't superior AI. I thought that's funny. <laughs> yeah. You know, listening to Dan, I'm not quite as exercised about it, but it, it just reminded me of everyone who was pointing out that they were either a dot com or, or a blockchain or something. But, but or something's a fintech company. Like every financial was a fintech company right. when, in fact, they were a consumer credit business. And you had a lot of exposure to something that actually was their core business. Yep. So. All right. Coming up. We're keeping an eye on Simon Property after its latest earnings report. The details from the quarter next. And Pinterest CEO Bill Reddy joins us for a first-on interview. We will dig into the company's results and what is next for the social stock. And during February, we're celebrating Black Heritage Month. Here's CNBC's Horace McBean. 
What I'm really proud of is how Jamaican folk, we persevere. Um, we know how to survive. Uh, we take the small amount of things that we have and we make really big things out of them. Working for CNBC has been great because it provides so much to me. And, you know, being a director now, I've grown up in this, in this company and be able to have what I have today and be able to give back to my small community back home is just thankful and grateful for that. So always remember that when you make it and you become successful, try to give back and give back as much as you can. Welcome back to Fast Money. Another earnings alert on Simon Property Group. Revenue topping estimates at $1.4 billion versus $1.29 billion expected. Earnings per share in line with what Wall Street anticipated, but Simon did issue weaker guidance for fiscal 2023 despite nearly 95% occupancy at its malls and outlets. Um, Karen, where do you stand on SPG? I don't have a position. I do want to hear their call, though, because yeah. I do want to hear what's happening in retail. And you said the occupancy was up a little bit. Yeah, that was good. I saw average uh, sales uh, were up a little bit, 5.6%, which, though, is less than inflation for the year. So um, I'm not quite sure what to make of it, but I want to hear how traffic is and things like that. I don't know in real estate and rising rate environment. Uh, I've been shy to do it, but I mean, it's a great company. I mean, if occupancy is still high, but FFO um, is lower for the year, then you got to ask, are they cutting breaks for leases? At the, or at expenses. Or, oh, yeah, or expenses are too high. Tim, are, are you in SPG at all? I'm not. I, I think the opportunities to get into some of these names at the, the nadir of some of the sentiment, which was probably, what, November, December? I mean, they've had massive, massive runs after we've kind of realized. I mean, mall activity, uh, I know, is was up significantly in the fourth quarter. So on a relative basis, um, these guys have proven through some of the worst of times, including COVID, that they know how to manage a very complex real estate portfolio. So, I mean, in a yield environment, I think this is one you just don't chase after a big move. But I think it's probably, yes, it should be part of a portfolio. I mean, that's exactly right. They've priced in a lot, just what Tim's saying. Big moves off the low. Simon, at one point, of course, the biggest REIT in the United States. Now it's a half of its former self. I think you fade the move here. Coming up, Pinterest CEO Bill Reddy joins us uh, next on the back of earnings. His take in the company's quarter. Don't go anywhere. Fast Money's back in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. Another check on Pinterest after earnings. Shares are lower by about three and a, and a quarter percent, but well off the after hours lows after disappointing revenue guidance for the current quarter. Julia Borson joined us now for a first on CNBC interview with Pinterest CEO Bill Reddy. Julia. Thanks so much, Melissa. And Bill, thanks so much for joining us. Fresh on the heels of that earnings call. I want to start off thanks on the factors me. that are, are really pressuring the stock in after hours trading right now. And it really seems like it's not just the, the revenue disappointment that it didn't grow faster this quarter, but the guidance for the first quarter that's weighing on the stock right now. What is it going to take to reaccelerate revenue growth? Well, we feel really great about the, the quarter that we had. Uh, if you look at uh, our revenue performance, we delivered 6% uh, growth uh, on an FX neutral basis, 4% on a reported basis, which is right in line with our guide of mid single digits. Uh, you know, as you look at us versus the ad market broadly, certainly, you know, there's a soft ad market out there and there's a lot of choppiness in the market. But while many players are experiencing year on year declines, we're actually managing to grow. So I think if you assess us on a relative performance basis, we're performing quite well. 
and the progress that we've made in returning to user growth, double digit engagement improvements, our ad supply growing at 15% plus with improvements in our ad platform around measurement and our growth coming from really discerning uh, advertisers that are seeing more and more performance from our platform, I think that bodes well for the future. So while there's a, a soft and choppy ad market right now, I feel really great about what we're doing to set up for the medium and long term and the fact that even in the near term, we're finding our ability to fight through a lot of choppiness in the market and growing faster than what many of our peers said would be growing. But, Bill, you did guide to low single-digit percentage growth in the first quarter. Analysts had been expecting 7% revenue growth uh, in the first quarter. So how much of this is about a weak ad market? And what are you seeing in terms of your outlook for the ad market this year? Yeah, I think in the, in the near term, you know, certainly everybody's experiencing, you know, softness in the ad market. So I think that's true in the near term. What I'm more focused on is how we deliver performance relative to others and bring through the unique full funnel nature of our platform. So, you know, one of the reasons I came to Pinterest is that it's quite unique, both in being a positive place on the internet, as well as having tremendous commercial intent on the platform. So the progress that we're making in getting users' ability to connect with that commercial intent, to move from intent to action, and then giving advertisers the ability to meet those users in those moments where they haven't decided what to buy yet, um, but have a clear intent. We're seeing really good progress on that, and I think it's why you see us outperforming peers now, and what I think sets us up well to continue outperforming. Right now, we're outperforming in a soft market, but as that market uh, you know, strengthens over time, we think we're set up well for that. Yeah, Bill, I know when you took over in June, you made shopping on Pinterest a clear imperative, wanting to close the loop so people could actually drive transactions and your ads could be more effective. Where are you seeing Pinterest right now in that trajectory? How much more room do you have uh, left to, to go on this whole process? Yeah, so we, we are very clearly at the early part of that journey, but the, the potential is tremendous. More than 50% of the people uh, on Pinterest say they're on Pinterest to shop. Uh, and our early efforts there, things like shopping ads, uh, grew 50% year on year. And even in our ability to connect the user, not just with the thing that they're looking for, but increasingly getting them to the place to go buy that thing, we talked about uh, things that are driving greater conversion like mobile deep linking that accounted for a significant portion of our shopping ads overall. So. Mm -hmm. While we're early in the adoption curve there, we feel really great about both where users are in consuming these things from us, as well as where advertisers are on consuming these things from us. But we're early on the adoption curve, so while we're outperforming now, that's a lot of what gives me confidence that we'll continue to do that, uh, or certainly intend to continue to do yeah. that, and as the market strengthens, we expect to continue to outperform there. And when you're talking about competing with your peers here, I have to ask about TikTok, which has been a, a topic throughout uh, the conversation this earnings season with some of the social media players. You talked about wanting to monetize short form video. How are you doing in terms of competing with TikTok, both in terms of engagement and time spent, but also in terms of those ad dollars? So two things I'd say in terms of, you know, the competition for users engagement, uh, you know, I talked about how we've returned to user growth, sessions are growing faster than users, double digit plus growth in engagement. Uh, Gen Z is one of our fastest, is actually the fastest growing cohort for us. And we see that accelerating. And interestingly, a big part of that is our progress in short form video. Uh, so video is now more than 10% of the engagement on our platform, but in contrast to others, it's more than 30% of the revenue on our platform. So one of the big questions on short form video is how do you monetize it? And for us, it's 10% of engagement now, 
but it's more than 30% of modernization. So we think mm -hmm. we have a really good balance there. And mm -hmm. we have a lot more to do there with the users engaging on things that have commercial intent. I think that's why you see us setting up better on things like modernization is that mm -hmm. we're not competing for where you go watch the next funny dance video. We're competing uh, for what you want to shop or make or do. Where do you go watch a video yeah. for that? And we're winning there. Bill, just a quick final question. I have to ask about Elliott Management, also your cost-cutting plans. Tell us how your relationship is with Elliott right now and how some of this cost-cutting that you've announced uh, and the fact that your expenses are going to be declining this year fit into that. Yeah, well, we, we invited uh, uh, Elliot onto our board. Uh, we feel really good about the collaboration we've had there. We feel, uh, we continue to feel good about that. Um, in terms of where we're going on driving operational rigor, I've been talking about that since I joined. And I actually see that as an opportunity for us to get more focused, drive more discipline and better product outcomes. I've, I've said that since I joined. And I think you actually see it coming through in our results that, you know, yes, you know, we've managed to put ourselves on track for EBITDA margin expansions we go into next year, but also delivering better and better product outcomes. I'm a big believer that constraints breed creativity. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think you're seeing that in our results. Well, we really appreciate you taking the time to do this interview right after your earnings call. And we hope we'll have you back on very soon. Bill, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. All right. Thank you, Julia. And thank you, Bill Reddy. Um, interesting to think about Pinterest, you know, within the same sort of territory as a meta, as a snap. Yeah. And, and listen, when you talk about peers, you talk about market share, you talk about a secular trend that's growing and it's only going to continue to grow. Right. And so when you have a guy like this who come in and he's focused on some some kind of new metrics and doing it in a difficult environment and recognizing that and the guide. I mean, that stock was trading much lower. Like you said, it's come back a little bit. It tells you that people want to buy this story. They're buying what he's selling. So to me, I find it kind of interesting. Too. Yeah, it certainly comes from the right pedigree at Google and, and very activist friendly. The, the question, again, just from a momentum and a catalyst perspective. I mean, you got some of that boost, right? So, you know, what do you get now? You got to probably wait it out, I think. Yeah. Carter, how's the chart look? It's fantastic. I just uh, oh. I think this has all the elements of what a bottom looks like. It doesn't matter whether you call it a rounding bottom or I characterize it as a bearish to bullish reversal. It's turned. It's turning. It goes higher. That's my thinking. All right. Up next, final trade. Let's go around the horn. Tim Seymour. That AI discussion got me thinking about the company that I think should be the biggest, or at least one of the biggest, and that is Google. Evaluation I can live with here, Mega Cap Tech making a comeback. Karen. Yes, so BBBY. Good for you, Bed Bath Beyond, for trying to do whatever you can. I appreciate that, but don't buy. Don't buy Bed Bath Beyond. Carter Braxton Worth. Pinterest. It's doing the things you want to see after you're bombed out. It's bottoming. Buy it. So much enthusiasm from Carter. Yeah, so GE, this move has gone parabolic. I would not be buying this one either here, and I have a bearish put position. Huh. Joining Jim Chinos in his bearish view of GE. Thank you for watching Fast Money. We'll see you back here tomorrow at 5 with more Fast. Meantime, don't go anywhere. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.